Well, hey, I want to. I, I just want to really give a shout out to Avery and to Keith and Margie and uh, Pete and Kathy and Mike. Uh, just sometimes we're throwing curveballs. It's just really good to have a, a team of people. Like I just like, hey, asked Margie and Keith to kind of jump in. Well, Margie volunteered, and then Keith's like, I'll jump in, and so it's just really cool to see how people come around and just what what the Lord moves. Like there was something happening today that was pretty clear. It was interesting that uh, first song that I came up. I like in a pine on that was sang over a city steeped in uh, like trafficking of people. The one they sang on the fly, Amazing Grace, if you know, he was a human trafficker. Newton was a human trafficker. And he wrote that song because like he, the Lord set him free. He used to be a slave trader. And part of the abolition, like the ministry, was like amazing grace. When he said a wretch like me, he meant it. He meant it. And so I, I don't know, I just feel like there's something maybe God's saying today. I just think that um, God, Jesus came to set captives free. And it matters to him. Like there's more people, there are currently more people in slavery in our world in the 21st century than at any point in time in human history. There are millions upon millions upon millions of people that are enslaved for uh, a religious persecution. There's Africa, there's whole towns that are enslaved. Men are slaughtered and women and children are forced to do unthinkable, unspeakable things. And the sex trade industry is enormous. It's enormous. And uh, we wanna do something about that. And it's still on God's heart. So it's amazing that these two songs that have like shaped history and generations and that um, it's still on God's heart. And we live in a city that um, the hub of it, like the amount that happens between um, Covington and Turfway Road, the amount of human trafficking would blow your mind. The amount of people that just pass through women and children boxed in on semis like cattle, like Jews going to the slaughter camps when they cram people in, defecate, urinate in these things for days, like they would go to the concentration camps. We have this in our city. And so I don't know, just speaking of that, I know that's gnarly, but I don't think those two songs were sang for, for no reason. So we're just gonna take a second before I start. I, I don't wanna just go with my plan and miss what the Spirit might be saying, but I just wanna pray as a church just for a little bit and just... Uh, whatever you can think about, whatever language you speak best, or if you got a heavenly one, however we're gonna pray, we're just gonna pray together as a church, like in unison, the way they do in so many countries in the world, and we're just gonna pray our guts out for a couple minutes for um, busts. Like I remember when I lived in Kansas City, Exodus Cry, which is a huge, uh, they've done a lot of things, amazing things, and the biggest bust in American history came after a fast that they did, where there was hundreds of women intercepted on I-35, hundreds of women that were being transported from Mexico to Canada. And it was the biggest bust at the time in American history, just praying and fasting and not just putting their head in the sand. Like we, we have to do something about the atrocities in our world if we love Jesus. We have to. The great um, sage Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, not to act is to act. Not to speak is to speak. To do nothing in the face of evil is evil itself. So we're just gonna pray because that's all we can do right now while we're sitting here. And we're gonna ask for strategy on high of how to attack 
the ills in our world and our city. Okay? Pray. Lord, we invite you, come. Come, Holy Spirit. And that's kind of a weird note, but I just felt like there was something on that. There's, um, Lord, even if there's something going by right now, I pray their tire would blow out or the police would pull them over or just the person would get violently ill and have to pull over, whatever. We just pray that you would stop things going through our city right now. That, Lord, we don't wanna, um, we don't want to not know anymore. Lord, shake us out of our apathy. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of their apathy. Shake us out of it, Lord. Give us a regard for the lost, for the broken, for the hurting. Because, Lord, we're just all a step away from that. Maybe we've been there. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been trafficked. Maybe you've trafficked others. Maybe if you've ever looked at, uh, like, pornography, most of those people are trafficked. Lord, whatever it is, how we've participated, maybe we've turned a blind eye, maybe we've been too afraid, Lord, whatever it is, maybe we were born out of that. Lord, whatever it is, we all have a part to play. And would you just, uh, you're reconciling the world. Help us to join you on your quest to seek and save the lost Jesus. Because you love everybody, even the traffickers, even the unthinkable people. You love them love us. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know exactly where to go from there, but I felt like the Lord was putting something on that. Um, yeah, we just need Jesus, don't we? We need Jesus. And I know sometimes um, we don't ever want to be a place that like, you can't talk about the light and never talk about the dark. You can't. Because the light's not, like Jesus isn't just making us trophies for a shelf. Do you know that? Do you know being holy doesn't mean that we just are um, just out of the world? Like Jesus says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you'd protect them from the darkness, from the ills, from the filth, that we wouldn't become like it. But he said, but rather when we touch the world, that it becomes clean instead of the other way around. So we wanna be a church that has the intestinal and spiritual fortitude to uh, go into dark places 
and to bring light and to go places where no one else will come. Because one, one of the vineyard values that we say often that you've heard here for generations if you've been around that long is faith is spelled how? R-I-S-K. R-I-S-K. That we go in places and go do things other people won't because that's, that's what Jesus is like. Jesus stepped out of the most posh place there ever was to unite a family to himself. And he called the most miserable, ragtag, eclectic bunch of scumbags to be part of that family. He invited me. Um, he invited, some of the apostles were some gnarly people. I mean, Simon the Zealot, Zealot, he was a, he was a usurper, a murderer. Like Jesus has invited some people. And I, and I think when you think of the family of God, like picture kind of a family gathering at Thanksgiving. Anyone ever used to watch that Ozzy and Sharon Osbourne show? <laughs> like you just watch their family interact and you're like, man, this is craziness. And I think that's what the kingdom is like. It's just Jesus puts these people together. And, and like you just kind of think about Thanksgiving. Anyone gonna celebrate Thanksgiving coming up? Anyone like Thanksgiving more than Christmas besides me? Yeah, I love it. Like there's all the fun, but none of the pressure. And so you get the faith, the family, the food, the football, the fullness, the just laying on my couch with tryptophan buzz from the turkey and just passed out watching like the Lions play some other terrible team, but it's football nonetheless. And, and like at a family gathering at Thanksgiving can be kind of fun. Like you can have like all kinds of different things going on. You got people eating in various places because most of our houses can't accommodate the crowds that we have over. Like we'll have people like in the living room, on the porch, in the dining room, in the kitchen, just all over the place, just crammed in like sardines. And afterwards, some are eating still. Some are, like I said, passed on the couch. Maybe someone's out, a couple people are outside playing a little turkey bowl or they're playing games, cooking, cleaning, whatever. There's lots of stuff going on. It's kind of this picture of, um, you know, what just, I don't know. And there's just something about it that keeps us coming back. But sometimes holidays are uncomfortable too. Like we go maybe out of obligation and there's like the drunk uncle that always picks on you or says like the weird thing, or there's like the family fight, or maybe you go and people get lathered up way too much. Like I remember as a kid, just kind of loving holidays, but I really loved when my uncle would just get laced, the stuff he would say to people. It was hilarious, and as a kid, it never came at me, but the horrible things he would say looking back now, I'm like, that's kind of macabre or like off, but like I just remember how tanked he'd get and so like the entertainment it was free except for you know the multiple six packs that it took to get him there but it was just watching my family how like some people would retreat to the deck or go downstairs or hang out or just you know it it was it was fun and it's like but there was always like kind of a motley crew there of family extended family grandkids friends neighbors a lonely out-of-town person maybe a co-worker and that's kind of a lot of us, like what our holidays are like. And I think that really that's like a great picture of the church. It's a great picture of the church. Can we show, show this Coca-Cola video? You might have seen this in a house group training if you were there a couple months ago, but I want you to, we gotta give it sound. Back it up and give it sound, please. Are close to me. They're my extended family. You've got my mom, my sis, my brother, my surprisingly cool stepmother, and the two... Hey, guys, start it over and give it enough sound that we can hear. Start it all the way over, please. 
Sound? Here we go. Launch. Holidays are here again, so I'm inviting all my friends, the people who are close to me. They're my extended family. You've got my mom, my sis, my brother, my surprisingly cool stepmother, and the two kids that she had before she ever met my dad. Next, you've got my aunts and cousins. They showed up with several dozen friends of theirs. It's fine with me. I've got enough for all. Here in the hall, you've got my office mates, my best friend, and his online date. They've all come here to celebrate. This is my family. My judo coach, my allergist, my MySpace friends and Twitter list. And the first girl that I ever kissed. You're beautiful. I love you. Cause there's one truth I have found. And it's never let me down. When you stock up on joy, there's enough to go round. Singing joy. Enough to go round. Enough to go round and around. Holidays are here again, so I'm inviting all my friends. Yeah, and if you kind of think about like, like I love this video. I saw it years ago. It's obviously old because his MySpace friends, okay? But it's uh, it gets the point across. Is like I think like when I think of the church, I think of that. I think of holidays, and I kind of think of that. It's like when we wonder what the church is, like Jesus. It's amazing at his core what he came to do was not just rescue people in terrible situations, but it was to put those people into a healthy, loving family. Like Jesus, if you think about God is the God of family. You think about the first thing he did with Adam and Eve was he told them to go start a family. And then you look at what he did, like he revived the world again through Noah, through a family. And then with Abraham, he gave a covenant to a family. And then later on, Joseph redeemed his family. And then you look at Moses and Aaron, like their sister Miriam, God did something through a family. And then he established his throne forever. The King David was through a family. Like God is a God of family. And as we're talking about Jesus, everything, um, talking about practically living into stuff is like, is really house groups. Is like, if, if you think about like, why do we talk about house groups so much? Why do we talk about this? Because what our disciple making strategy is as a church is we wanna build healthy families on mission. We want to build healthy families that are centered around not just nuclear families, though we wildly care about that. We want to create, we want to build spiritual families where everyone gets to play. We want to build intentional families where people come. If it's your neighbor, if it's your, you know, MySpace friend, if it's your old girlfriend, whatever it looks like, that we want to, we want to create environments. We want to create a, a, a culture of spirit-empowered disciple-making where people in every, every arena and walk of life get to play and get to be part of a healthy family on mission. Because we believe that the church has a mission. The church has a mission to go into those dark, tragic places and redeem people. But the way we do it is just not in a vacuum or as a lone ranger, but it's as a family. It's taking the family resources to take the disciple-making know-how, to take the entrepreneurial gifts. It's to take the people with the compassion, with the mercy, with the preaching, with the praying, with the sharing, with the money-making, whatever that looks like, and to put that in a pot and go reach people. That, help, that happens best in an intentional context of disciple-making, which usually is proliferated in families on mission. Jay Pathak, the uh, uh, national director of the Vineyard Church says, the Bible doesn't understand the phrase, 
I love God, but I hate the church. And Jay went on to talk about, about like there's a lot of people that, especially since COVID, are doing Christianity on their own, or they're saying, oh, I'm discipled by this preacher on the radio, or I'm discipled by the navigators from the monthly publication I get, or I'm discipled by my daily bread, or whatever it is. It's like discipleship, even Jesus, when he came, Jesus built a family. If you think about one of the outrageous things that was said when Jesus was in there preaching, his family's like bros going out of his mind, and Jesus says, who's my mother? They're like, hey, your mom and your brothers and sisters outside. He said, who's my mother? Who's my brother? Who's my sisters? He said, those who do the will of my father are my mother, are my sisters, are my brothers. Like Jesus came and he radically redefined family. But Jesus came, make no bones about it or any mistakes. Like Jesus came to build a family to reach people. And so Jesus doesn't want us on our own. And we talk about discipleship so much because really discipleship is the process of becoming like Jesus, right? So if we want to become like Jesus, it's important that we think and do like what Jesus did. And if we know that Jesus came to build healthy families on mission, that's what we're called to do too. And a lot of times we're either called to do that now or we're called to be part of one so we can do that later. So if you wonder what the process of becoming like Jesus is, does anyone ever been told in their life that um, whether you're bio or else adopted, that, wow, you talk like your mom or you act like your grandma or you laugh like your dad or your sense of humor. Has anyone ever been told stuff like that? Like, man, you're a spitting image or this or that or maybe someone's told your kids that. That's because people, do you know within 45 seconds, research has shown us Neuro research has shown with us within 45 seconds, babies are attempting to imitate the first arms that hold them. 45 seconds, we are made to imitate. We are made to be part of a family. We are made to be with other people. And we're made to take on the characteristics of other people. And the way Jesus wants this best done is in the concept of oikos, can anyone say oikos with me? Oikos. oikos. I'm not talking about the nasty, chalky Greek yogurt. Maybe you love it. I hate it. We're not talking about that, okay? But we're talking about the, like, oikos is really the Greek word for, like, a Roman household. It's, it's a word. So Rome was the prevailing culture. There was the Jewish culture that was the children of Israel, but then Rome was this kind of permeating world culture and they were occupying Israel at the time of Jesus' birth. So Jesus kind of lived in this Greco-Roman world in this very Judaic world and they were occupied by uh, Rome. And so the Bible, much of the Bible, the second half of it, uh, like the New Testament, was written in Greek. And Greek was a language that if you were Roman, you pretty much spoke Latin and you spoke Greek. So in this world where when they talk about oikos, it was kind of like this house family. It was like the family had a business, had a purpose, because they might say, like you would read in the Bible, like to the house of so-and-so, to the house of Sylvanus or Phoebe or, you know, whoever, they would make these letters because the churches were all house churches back then. And when they were talking to the households, they were talking about this kind of family enterprise of where people did kingdom things together or just did world things together. 
the, the, 20, the 20th century brought us a kind of mutated view of the world that was different than anything the world ever saw is really post-World War II, we started to see a huge shift into, in the West of a very individualistic culture where we moved from a front porch to a back deck society. And we started seeing something that the world never knew was just, we're gonna focus on us and our nuclear family. And not like there's anything wrong with us or our nuclear family, but to just focus on that was not something the world had ever seen before. That back in the day, it was more of an ag um, agricultural society where people would um, kind of live, like say, say my friend Brad here, Brad's, Brad's got a good business. I'm not just making that up. Brad's got a good business. But say if Brad had a business of maybe um, more of a located business where maybe his wife, his son, his, um, his stepkids, and you know, his daughter, where they would all then kind of work this. But then Brad would also probably have a large plot of land and then other people would set up shop and kind of live close to Brad and they would all work on the Pegasus Energy industry. That's what they would do. And it was kind of this whole thing. So there was this whole household mentality where the people rubbed elbows, did life together, and there was kind of a concern for the whole entire neighborhood because someone employed that little sector of the ghetto or that neighborhood. And that's how the world worked until the middle of the 20th century. And then you have war, you have devastation, you have the Spanish flu, you have great famines, and the world starts to retreat more, especially in the West. The more resources we got, the more individualistic we got, but we still live in a world that the church is flourishing most places besides in America. As we've gotten more individualistic, we've lost a lot of the fabric of the gospel, especially as it pertains to disciple making. Because if, if Brad had that industry, everyone in his household to function properly would need to understand the family business. And whether Brad was his literal, uh, like his literal family, or maybe me and Carla, or maybe like Joby and Emily, like lived on the, on the extended area too, we would need to understand like the enterprise because we were part of it. And when we look at the New Testament, how they set up the church, it was very similar to that. It wasn't just one talking bald head got up front and shared and everyone kind of did that and went and had a sandwich and then fell asleep on their couch watching a game or doing something else. It wasn't at all like what we know as the church today. But it's rather these families on mission that, yeah, there was, there, was, there was group leaders, there was apostles, there was pastors, there was all these different offices, but everyone knew they had a part to play. That's what an oikos was. And so Paul kind of borrows this term because they stop really talking about disciples in the sense of, as the disciples was a very Jewish term, was a very rabbi and student term. And as the gospel started pressing into the empire where they had no Judaic worldview, he started talking about oikos because it really encumbered the same thing. The rabbis would take these students into their oikos. They would take them in, just like Samuel went with um, like Eli and lived in the temple. He invited Samuel into his oikos. Paul used a different word to describe discipleship in the days ahead and it was really what we're talking about with house groups. It was families on mission. So when you hear us talk about that a lot, <clears throat> it was this, Mike Breen says, he says, God's plan was always for a family on mission to shape and change the world. He says, um, 
Only in the past 100 years in America have we lost a sense of extended family on mission. For a whole host of reasons, we have unwittingly embraced the fragmentation of extended family and tried to live primarily as individuals in nuclear families. The results of this experiment have been utterly disastrous, and you probably see the aftermath all around you. Loneliness and depression are rampant. We are more stressed and busier than ever, and many people feel they are barely keeping their heads above water as they try to advance their careers, raise their children, or seek some semblance of meaning of life. There's something about a nuclear thing when we just focus on that so much that can really take away our broader perspective of what God's doing in the kingdom. And I'm not saying, our, don't walk away from here today like all oh, Ryan's against me and my wife and kids or husband and kids or against my mom. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying I think some of how we view the gospel is a little twisted by a society that's kind of went off the rails in the last 80 years. If you need any more um, proof of that, just look at the world. Just get on Twitter later, or get on Facebook later, or get on Instagram later, get on sports media later, get on talk radio. And we look at a world that is about to set itself on fire and we're the leaders of the free world. And we're leading people off a cliff as we play our Pied Pipering tune of individualism reigns. When we look at the amount of people trafficked, we're fueling that more than any country in the world. with the aggrandizement of self, the perversion, the pursuits of pleasure. And the world's following, the world's watching. And I think at a time where it's darkest, when the world's watching, what kind of church are they seeing? Because people are looking for answers right now. And the church that's been raised up in the last couple generations of our country is not the church that looks like Jesus. And as my old friend and pastor John Brown used to say, God's calling the church up out of the church to be the church in these last days. And the church he's talking about resembled an oikos way more than a big box. And we're not against coming to church. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. But this is not it. To us, discipleship is it. To us, Putting the lonely in families is it. And listen, we can do a lot of stuff in the ills, in the horrifying things in our world, but man, what if your house group, what if your house group developed a heart for maybe those traffic people or those kids in foster care or for the elderly that you care deeply about or maybe that after school program or maybe the poverty around you or maybe that uh, people group around you like those immigrants. Do you know, okay, I'm just gonna go off a little bit here, okay, off. Um, we do have a problem. We have an immigrant, we're the only country in the world that has open borders, the only. Nowhere else in the world has the open border problem we have. That said, I'm not gonna get into the political, whether you care about that or not, I don't care. But what I know is Jesus cares about those people, whether they're here legally or not. Come on, Ryan. And Jesus is not calling us to hate them because they're here, because a lot of people's lives for every one of these gang members, there's 50 people that have left because the gangs are a lot more terrorizing there than they are here. And that's why they're here. Yep. So what if we, instead of looking at those people and hating them, just said, Lord, I don't know what it is, but it's always easier to start where I am instead of starting where I'm not. What if we ministered to those people? What if we ministered to them? That would look a lot like Jesus and that might tick you off. You might never come back. Take that up with the Lord. 
because he cares about them. If you look in the Old Testament and the New Testament, Jesus cares about the alien. Whether they're legal or illegal, Jesus cares about people. Come on. That's why he's building families. That's why he's building these extended families. And so how we love people, even the least of these, the ones who deserve it least, says a lot about how we've received his grace in our life. Yep. So I'm not trying to say whether it's right or wrong. I'm just, we're the only country that does it. I, I think we have a lot of issues in this country, okay? I'm not saying that, but maybe we have a golden opportunity if we'll shift our perspective a little bit. Like, Lord, who would you have me reach? Look for low-hanging fruit. We talked about last year about stopping for the one. The low-hanging fruit, look for the isolated. Look for the ill. Look for the injured, the ignored, for the indigent, for the incarcerated. Look for the international. Look in those places if you're wondering who, does your, who do you reach in your life? Who does your house group reach? Just go there. There's low-hanging fruit all over, all over, all around us. But out on the limb is always where the fruit is. And we've got to be willing to go out on the limbs and how we view discipleship and how, how, we view, uh, how we view mission if when the world looks at us, if we're gonna look any different. Because that's what Jesus was like. And if the discipleship is like being like him, then we gotta be like him. And so we're talking about this family thing, this family concept is pursuing the heart of God. I wanna share with you uh, uh, first, first, uh, Second Thessalonians I mean, 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12. Can we put that up? Or 2 Thessalonians. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and being gathered to him, gathered, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by prophecy or word of mouth or letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Paul's saying, some people are saying Jesus has already come back. He's saying that we haven't, Okay. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of law, is this, is this it? Do we have the wrong, okay, we have the wrong passage. I'm gonna, it's not Second Corinthians. So if I sent it to you, yeah, I'm like, I'm trying to give commentary to something that like on the fly. Um, here we go. I'm gonna read from here. That's my fault, friends, not yours. Let's hear it for those people back there. Yeah, a lot of times it's, uh, I'm, I'm a hard rabbit to chase. <laughs> um, so these guys have an unenviable job. You yourselves, dear brothers and sisters, know that our visit to you was not a failure, that you know how badly we were treated in Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare this good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition so that you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure uh, motives or trickery. For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God and not people. He alone examines our motives and our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know, and God is our witness. We were not pretending to be your friends or to get your money. As for human praise, we never sought anything from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had the right to make demands of you, but instead, we were like children among you. Or we were like, or, or you, were like, you were like children among us, and we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we didn't only share with you the gospel, but our lives. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you day and night 
as we toiled to earn a living so we would not be a burden to any of you as we preach God's good news. You yourselves are a witness, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless towards you and other believers, and you know how we treat each other as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you and encourage you and urge you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy, for he has called you to share in his kingdom and glory. I love all the language in this passage, and the, and the kind of center point is we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives. And a lot of times the church has just relegated the gospel to like an outreach event or a preaching event. But Paul says the gospel and our lives. And one of the things I love in the language there is he talks about mother, father, children, sons, daughters, as Paul's talking about this church in Thessalonica or this network of house groups or house churches as a family. And he says, I became a father to you. And I cared for you as a mother would. And just to, to give you, like, when we live the gospel, why we talk about, like, okay, how are you talking about house groups and human trafficking in the same day? Because, like, we're a family on mission. And we do the family work of Jesus to fulfill his mission. And that can look like a lot of different things, but part of discipling, we talk about a lot. We talk about up. We talk, that's passionate worship of Jesus. Up. You just think of vertical connection to God. In is this kind of radical fellowship and fellowship where our community of faith has relationship and responsibility, where we learn how to grow in the character and competency of Jesus, where we wanna do what Jesus did and do it how he did it. And that's what a family does. Doesn't a healthy family raise healthy children? Doesn't it? Anyone ever like, like anyone, like I sometimes marvel when I look at healthy families and healthy people because I'm like, my family's been a train wreck. And I'm really glad God plucked me out. But man, I'm like always feeling like I'm playing catch up because I look at some of these people that are my age or even younger and I'm like, man, you're so far ahead of me because of the family you were raised in. They're not having to unlearn all the garbage that I had to learn. And there's this thing about when there's healthy families, it creates healthy people. Do you know if we're healthy disciples, we can create healthy disciples? And we look at the paragon of health as Jesus Christ. And Jesus had up, his passionate, amazing connection to God. He had in, he did life together with people really well. And he had the sense of out where he lived to seek and save the lost. So I wanna invite one of my children up. Come on, Emily. Emily is my oldest daughter. I love Emily. Seriously, like Emily, Emily's uh, like my kid. Yep, you can, don't steal it, just borrow it. Just borrow it, we don't steal here, Emily. But um, no, Emily is, Emily came to our family in 2015, or we came to hers, Kansas City. I met Emily, I was, I was Emily's youth pastor, and uh, we just fell in love with Emily. And we just uh, have watched her grow from, uh, she has a birthday this week. Like, so she's in her third decade that we're gonna know her. Um, so, uh, but yeah, so, but like Emily became like one of our kids and she was part of our oikos and part of how God um, has shaped us in amazing ways to do mission. And so I'm just gonna talk to Emily a little bit about how God has worked in her life. And, um, because Emily has been one of our greatest disciples that we've done life with in a lot of ways. And she and her husband even moved here um, kind of to be part of things with us. So 
Um, so Emily, what are some of the regular rhythms that you and Dom practice together as your nuclear family and kind of in an extended family? Um, bear with me if I have to like look at this because I get off track easily, but um, I'd say we are consistently plugging in to not only church on Sundays, but our house groups, um, Steve and Nikki, and um, that's probably one of the biggest, most important um, rhythms that we have just overall. Um, but we also want to, and we try to spend time with people who look like Jesus. And we reach out to those around us and look for opportunities to pray either for them or, or for people around them. And then on a daily basis, um, I'm a stay-at-home mom, um, we pray with our children throughout the day, every single day. We have opportunities. Um, where Lila started to ask me more questions and sometimes it comes like really randomly. She'll be talking about unicorns and then she'll be like, who's God? And I'm like, okay. So, you know, <laughs> it's like, it hits me out of nowhere sometimes, but um, we've had some cool conversations, but she's also three. And although I feel like this, the seed is being planted, it's being watered every single day too. Um, and she may not understand it completely, but hopefully through the consistency, she will start to have a deeper understanding in her heart. And also for Clara, but she just babbles right now and says, mama, whatever. Um, she tried to say Ryan, it's really cute. Oh, she does? Yeah. Oh, I It doesn't tell that. anything like it, but I know she's saying it or maybe I'm just <laughs> telling myself that, so I feel important also. Oh my gosh, um. yes, she's silly. Um, and then um, another, extremely important rhythm that we do is we reach out to mentors like Ryan and Carla and um, our friends that we have that we know will point us back to Christ. And, you know, because we're not perfect, I guess. Yeah. How has discipleship kind of molded and shifted or impacted your life? <sighs> this one. So I'm going to just read this because... So um, it has taught me that this life is not about me and that Jesus' plan and will is above any plans I could make in my own free will. Um, and through the insight, prayer, challenges, spiritual butt whoopings, and immense love I've received from my discipleship communities, it's helped me to stay on the path God has set out for me. And although I do hear for myself from the Lord, we need other believers. I need other believers to sharpen and encourage me in the faith. Because I can be so selfish and stubborn and obstinate to what the Lord is saying, but when others are there to lift you up, pray, encourage, and most importantly, speak truth it is a game changer. And I would never recommend someone to try to do this life on their own. Amen. Amen. 
can you kind of just share how like you organically, because Emily and Dom are gonna um, start a new house group here in a couple months, and so they're gonna multiply. They wanna go, they're gonna feel like God's calling them a frontier. They live in Walton. So how, how do you kind of naturally invite people into your life? Because you're such a good networker and inviter. Um, so actually the first thing that I have down here is that I wanna stress that although I am an extrovert and certain aspects of inviting people come a little more naturally to me, the Lord has called all of us um, into discipleship and discipling others. Despite our personalities, there are so many other areas of my life where I am so weak and I need supernatural strength. And one of those, um, for instance, is public speaking. <laughs> Uh, but when God calls, it's because he has a plan and a purpose. And if your heart is to please and serve him, you will see us. But yeah. with that being said, I have had many moments where I just try to look for people of peace. That's one of the first things. You just are doing life. And, and there's neighbors, I look around and I was literally just sitting outside the other day and I was looking at my neighbors and they were just helping each other, just serving each other. And I don't even think they know Jesus. And I was thinking, I was like, these are some of the people that I wanna invite because although they may be doing it for other reasons, I can see something in them that God could use immensely. And, um, but I, part of that is I don't just be like, hi, I'm Emily, come to, come to my house group. Like, you know, maybe you do that in some instances, but it's through building relationships with people too. So I've tried to build relationships. I have conversations, we've talked. Um, I've even had people, they've, they've come over, just sitting outside, we're talking about life. And then, um, also, just praying for God to send these people or highlight who to invite um, just as I'm going. And then having a heart and mindset that is open to seeing more than just face value and being spiritually aware of opportunities and discerning who God, where God is leading. Yeah. Amen. Thank you, Emily. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, Emily, and I wish we had more time. I should have given her more time. She's just like, um, one of the things that she does so well and kind of thinking about the holidays is like, I think a lot of times we've cheapened the gospel by treating, inviting people to a service or a program. Yeah, you're great. It's like, and, but like, what if we start looking at the God, like inviting people into our families? inviting people into our lives. Paul said we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives. One of the things I've seen, Emily, she's just so great at inviting, like Emily's never found a stray dog she didn't want to bring home. And just like bringing people into her family, literally her nuclear family, like the Borkays back in KC, or our, our youth group, or our house groups, or our discipleship groups, or just watching her now like in her neighborhood, is she invites people into a family. And I think if we start looking at the gospel different about building a family instead of like a program or a box to check. Cause this stuff's not meant to be a box to check. Like this is our life. Paul said, we were pleased to share with you the gospel and our lives. And the point is the gospel 
should change our lives. The gospel is Jesus everything. Like that it's, you know, we sold the farm and bought the pearl. And it's like it changes not only like my church life and my exterior life, but it changes my family life. It changes my personal life. It changes my uh, uh, relational life. And so when we talk about house groups a lot, is really is God is inviting people to a family. And it's a family that looks a lot more like that Coke commercial than just me, my wife, and my kids at dinner. And obviously, I'm called to do that really well too because I can kind of get disqualified if I stink at that, but then try to reach everybody else. So discipleship has this kind of like effect of like he, me, we. It's like God, I meet him and then he changes me and then I start to grow and change and heal. And as I'm discipled, then I go and do what was done to me. And there's been so many wonderful people in my life that invited me not just to church, but to their family. Because I didn't really have a family that was healthy And I learned from people how to do family on mission and what it meant to have invitation and challenge. Because to me, everything was just a challenge. It was just a scream. It was either like left alone or scream at you when you do wrong. But then I learned the, the grace that was found in a Christian family and a loving family. And then people, there was always other people around. There was always, like I lived in my friend's house in my basement. And then there was all these other people that lived in Tom and Gail's basement. And then other people that would come and stay in the basement. And we were all like the, you know, just in the basement. And, but there was always these people around. And it's just like, we kept seeing the family of God grow and grow and grow by their family, their central family's mission and enterprise was to seek and save the lost. So as you're thinking about discipleship, this week I want to challenge you, like who is God calling you to invite into your family? Who are people he wants you to meet? Because it's not to invite them to church or like house group is a check the box, but like what if, what if your house group was like a party that celebrated the goodness of God, that celebrated lives being changed, that wrestled through tough stuff around a table and then went and did great things together. That's, that's what we're talking about, where we wanna invite people here. And so as you're thinking about discipleship in your own life, like, are you part of a family that's doing the stuff Jesus did? And maybe you are, maybe your nuclear family is all about that. Well, I'll tell you what, if your nuclear family is all about that, you are a minority. And other people need to hear about that. Other people need to be invited to that. Other people just, you know, and it doesn't have to be an event. Let people hang around. Let people just be around you. Go to your kids' ball games. Come to church with you. Go do, if you're doing, going to do something missional, take people with you. You're going to the grocery store. Some of the best discipleship in the world can happen in a grocery store or in the car ride on the way, you know, to the grocery store. But just how do we invite people into our lives? Because Jesus isn't just about inviting them to a program, but to a family. And so as we're wrapping up today, sorry I got a little tangential on the thing of human trafficking. I just felt like God was saying something about that today and I didn't want to miss it. But as we're wrapping up in prayer today, um, where do you need either reorientation of seeing the gospel through the lens of maybe either you building a family or you being part of a family? Or maybe you just need healing because family scares the crud out of you because family was such a dangerous place for you in your life. Where, where do you want God to change your story and integrate with his? Because he doesn't want you to do this alone. Jesus is a family builder 
And um, he wants us to build great families and to teach other, that's what we're discipling other people how to do. So if the prayer team wants to come up, we're just gonna pray. And if you don't know Jesus, he wants you to be part of his family. Maybe you're here today for the first time or you're here for the hundredth time. You're like, I don't really know Jesus. I don't feel like he's my father. I don't feel loved. I don't feel like I'm part of anything. I'm just kind of alone. Come today. Jesus wants to speak to your heart and your life. So Father, would you come? Would you meet us? Would you help us build healthy families on mission? Would you help us to do discipleship really well? Would you help the world know you came? Lord, would you help us follow you, to be like you? Lord, you help us to open up, not just share the gospel, but our lives with people. And know that the best news is that you're a father who's wanting to adopt children in his family. So we thank you for that today. We love you and we bless you. It's your name we pray, Father, amen. amen. Well, if you want prayer, don't, don't leave without it today. Love you all.